Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of White Label American. I'm your host, Raphael Harry. Thank you all for joining us today. And before we begin, I would like to thank all my Patreons. And thank you for helping us build community. And I invite you all listening to join us if you haven't joined us and help us take the community much further because there are a lot of things we need to do. We are not there yet and we'd like to do a whole lot more stuff. If you can't join us right now, I understand, you know, times are not easy. But there are other ways you can support. You can support by um, liking, sharing, subscribing, and giving a five-star and positive reviews on iTunes, especially, most especially on iTunes. Help us climb up the algorithms. We don't have the money to advertise or, you know, compete with a bigger podcast out there. So, hey, help a brother out and help. You know, I'm trying to raise a daughter, so, you know, I'm spending time on that, so I can't really be competing with the big guys. So help me out, please. But um, keep the love coming in. I appreciate everyone who's done that already. And um, at the end of the month, I'll try and uh, give a gift card to one reviewer and one new Patreon, all right? Um, now that's enough. Let's jump to today's guest. Um, she's someone who I wouldn't have taking certain steps that I've taken without um, the, the, a lot of steps that I've taken were because I knew uh, well, since the day I met this woman virtually, my growth as a podcaster just, you know, went up, went up positively, went up, you know, in a great way. Uh, she's a celebrated connector, experienced international development consultant, social change maker, she is the co-director of Africa Podfest and an advisor for Google Podcasts. And she just brings worlds together. And I'm so grateful for this woman because thanks to the work she does, I got to know so many podcasters on the continent, a lot of African um, Africans in diaspora like myself who are also content creators. I've been in touch with so many people and it's just been beautiful. It's a great experience. And I'm grateful for this woman, and I'm so glad that she's joined us today. So without much further ado, welcome Josephine Kari Karian Jahi. Yes, I, I got perfect. it. Hey. You got it, you got hey. it. Thanks for having me, Raphael. <laughs> welcome, really welcome. Good to welcome. So how you doing today? Uh, today, um, you know, it's it's the weekend. The weekend is over here. Um, I'm in Nairobi, Kenya right now. So uh, the weekend is over. That's the feeling. I mean, it was a great weekend, but it's over. So, <laughs> so you just get that feeling on Sunday. Uh, but thankfully, uh, we can have a good conversation. And that, you know, kind of makes it much, much better. Much, much better over here. Um, thank you for saying what you did. Uh, it's really something else to have other people experience some of the things we only dreamed were possible, yeah. um, you know, in terms of connecting uh, people in Africa who are content creators or switching into podcasting, experienced podcasters, people in between. And it's just been an incredible journey so far. 
Uh, yeah, so let's do this. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so we'll come back to your work. Okay, so before you got to be Josephine of the podcasting world, let's begin from the very beginning. Where was Josephine um, born and, you know, where was her place of birth and what was childhood like for you? Wow. Um, I was born in Nairobi, in Kenya. That's, uh, for people who are not so familiar, that's kind of south um, of the equator, but still the center and capital of Nairobi. I'm, uh, you know, born to two Kenyan parents who also are from Nairobi and uh, their parents migrated to Nairobi a long time ago uh, or just outside Nairobi. And I grew up, uh, went to primary school here, uh, grew up very much, you know, like many African kids close to my family members, extended family members, spent a lot of time with my cousins. Shout out to all my cousins. I know that they're, they're going <laughs> to listen to some of these uh, episodes because of you. Um, and also just, the, you know, being able to kind of uh, do things like uh, hang out with friends. I grew up uh, in, a, in Nairobi, which is a very, you know, it's a very multicultural city. My uh, primary school was very multicultural. Um, got to go to school with kids whose backgrounds were that their parents were born in other countries and then they moved to Nairobi. Uh, their parents were of, um, you know, were from all over Kenya, all over Africa. And also um, their parents were, um, you know, had brought them to Nairobi and were experiencing this, also this multicultural city. Yeah. So that was a very important part of um, my childhood. I went to a great school, um, one of the Aga Khan schools, which is a public school in, in Nairobi. And if people know the Aga Khan network, it's a network of, uh, it's an education network around the world. Uh, they do all kinds of um, education projects in, you know, in countries with majority black and brown people uh, like Kenya uh, and many others. And so they created a hybrid kind of model where uh, they were part of the public school system, but they kind of added a little bit more uh, content in terms of uh, drama programs, music programs, sports programs that, you know, a, a lot of people who went to public school in Kenya may not necessarily have had a chance to experience. Yeah. So I knew really early on, I want, you know, we had a, we even had a school magazine. Like if you can yeah. imagine, like just, you know, you know, a, a magazine where you feature the kids and they get to take it home and, you know, they have pictures of themselves and, you know, for kids who grew up with all of that, yes. you know, that's very okay. But, you know, if you know um, many public schools in Kenya and other African countries don't necessarily have this exposure. That's true. Uh, so that, that was a very important part of me growing up uh, because I got to understand what the stage was like. We had a really fantastic um, drama teacher, um, Mr. Adwar, um, shout out, Mr. Edward. If you're listening to this, I'm sure he's into podcasting somewhere in the world. Um, and he was really great at helping us kind of understand how to um, think about poetry, think about writing, think about drama and the stage. And so although I knew, you know, you had to be, you know, had to focus on your studies, yeah. I knew there was this whole other world where you could explore creativity and you could connect. And so by the time, you know, we got to the national exams, which are a very big deal in every context, you know, you, um, you get to, so I did um, eight years of primary school 
And at the end of the eight years, we did a national exam with all the kids from across the country. And then from those uh, results, you were selected to a school. So oh, imagine these okay. 12, 13 year old kids studying for an exam, which will, which will determine what kind of high school you go to. Yeah. So I know a lot of people can relate to the stress <laughs> of being really you know, keen on that. Um, I've enjoyed school and I've been fortunate to have opportunities to you know, be able to excel in certain areas in school. And um, you know, that helped me go to one of the top girls schools in Kenya uh, Precious Blood Secondary School. Yes, it was a Catholic girl school. I was school. just about to ask. You know, you <laughs> from, know. From, the, from, from the name. <laughs> it was in Nairobi also. Um, okay. So they picked students who are from Nairobi. It was very competitive and very focused on academics. Was I it a boarding school? Myself. It was a boarding school okay. in Nairobi. Um, and it was very strict. I mean, super, super strict. Like, uh, was something we did. We didn't really have a visiting day. Oh wow! Like we we're told, you'd either choose between having a um, visiting day, which you know maybe parents come and visit you at boarding school every week, or you have a midterm where you get to go home. You don't get both. Oh, so you know, of course, everybody okay, chose well, the I one. Think, I think it might be similar in Nigeria too. I was not yeah. a boarding student, but. Yeah. From what I can recall, most of my budding yeah. friends never had their parents visit except on midterm when they came to pick them yeah. to take them home or on uh, on some holidays like state holidays or federal holidays that were like three days. You know, yeah. I, I went into the weekend, then yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. So yeah, so that was the um, that was the experience of you know for you know for four years you're in boarding school you've got to do well it's very competitive but at the same time it was really fun uh, I met you know great ladies who also uh, were going through this experience of being in this really strict very competitive Catholic school mm -hmm. but also um, there were lots of clubs and activities that um, were appealing to me I joined. The choir, I was able to, you know, uh, be part of even a mixed choir because a mixed choir is where half the choir is from your school and then half the choir is from uh, your brother's school. So the oh. brother's school at the time okay. uh, was uh, Lenana High School. So those, those, those of you who know Kenya know that um, those are very, I think, well-known schools in Kenya. And so we had like the male section of the choir uh, be from the boys' school, and then the girls' school had the female section of the choir. And we would have practice where we would, they would come to our school, and then we would go to their school, I think, for one or two practices. Wow. So that was, you know, that was the, you know, kind of like you had very structured uh, activities. Um, I taught I taught Sunday school um, at the at the mission church, which was next to our school. Um, you know, we had, you know, all kinds of different little activities around school. I, you know, kind of figure, try to figure out what else could I do apart from these intense studies? Mm -hmm. uh, because I knew there was some, some value to that. Uh, played a little volleyball, <laughs> you know, so it was very much like a little bit of, you know, a little bit of extracurricular. Um, but again, you know, we don't, uh, we time kind of preparing for our next examination which was um, after four years and this one you know kind of really shapes your life you know in Kenya because 
if uh, you want to go to affordable university, you have to do very well uh, in this national examination. And so what affordable means is that you're able to pay, I guess, reasonable fees. So, you know, if, if you are selected to go because of your performance, yeah. you're charged less than if you opt into a program. So if you are selected, for example, as Raphael, you know, you're interested in podcasting mm -hmm. and you get the grades for podcasting, then you pay less than maybe me if I was selected into audio engineering and I want to go into podcasting overall. Uh, uh, okay. But I don't necessarily okay. have the grade for okay. podcasting school. Yeah. So then you would, you know, I'd pay more than you for the same course. Okay. So the exam was very important. So they spent a lot of time drilling us on that. But anyway, all of that to say, um, you know, I was, I was, I'm very competitive. I'm very, you know, driven. I'm a driven person. And I really wanted to do well, you know, overall, um, just to kind of, you know, make sure my parents didn't have to struggle to take me to school. But yeah. also I knew that there were people who got scholarships to go to university in the, U in the U.S., um, and I knew that there was some kind of way you could apply after you finish your high school in Kenya, where our school year ends in December. And so the, you know, you, you would uh, spend the next nine months preparing your university application so that you could apply in the fall. Oh, so maybe, wow. um, you know, so I was, I was thinking if, 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 if I, if I do like really well in my school exams, and then also I apply, you know, you know, think about these scholarships. You know, I was I was so idealistic. I was like, I'm definitely gonna give. I I can get a shot. You know, I'm 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 thinking this is a thing. Um, and so I think it speaks to kind of my sense of things. You know, just thinking about things and trying to see what's possible. Um, okay. So yeah, well, I finished before, high school in Kenya, uh, and then before you go too yeah. far, there's something that caught my interest. So nine years, oh, sorry, eight years of primary school and four years of um, secondary school, right? Yes. So that's, that's the Kenyan right. school model. Yes. Because mm, in, in Nigeria, it's uh, six years of primary school, three years mm -hmm. of junior secondary, and three years of uh, senior secondary. Then you head yeah. to university. So I was mm -hmm. you know, I'm surprised because I, I was thinking all the British former British colonies had uh, in Africa had will be on a similar because I, I I believe West Africa um, Ghana uh, Ga the Gambia Sierra Leone have something similar to what right. Nigeria has um so I, I was just fascinated by the eight years that that just caught me off guard a little bit but I did five years of my primary school because um, yeah. at the fifth year mark you are allowed to take the the, the national exam that qualifies yeah. you to um, move into secondary school. And then the same thing at secondary school, at your fifth year mark in secondary school, you can start taking the national exams for secondary mm -hmm. school. And if you do good enough, then you can dive at university. But the only difference is that for university, we don't have a system that you pay affordable fees, no, 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 everybody. You're on your own <laughs> in Nigeria. That's the only difference. It's like, yep, you're on your own. It's uh, except if you have some scholarship, which is uh, it's a whole, whole yeah. Getting a scholarship in Nigeria is a whole different. Yeah, going to those days, it's not uh, easy. But yeah, so but uh, before we go too far, uh, 
I want to go back to your childhood days. Um, yeah. One question I always ask my guests is, what do you consider your favorite childhood memory? And it doesn't have to be just one in, um, story or one incident. You can make it true if you want. Well, um, I think my favorite childhood memory, um, I think, is just so there's so I have one sister who I grew up with, uh, and we're uh, so you know we're two children from my mother, so we go everywhere together. And when we were uh, growing up, my family and I, uh, you know, the the best way to the best way to take a trip when we were uh, maybe like six or seven years old was to t- was to drive to the to the coast. So from Nairobi to Mombasa is about seven hours drive. Wow! And this memory is really vivid for me. I think I was about maybe five years old. So my dad was driving, and we were with another family, and we were behind this truck, and a little piece of you know whatever the truck was carrying hit the wind windshield and cracked it just a little bit while we were driving. So we kept kept driving. And if you know the wind, wind, windshields of that time, mm-hmm. so it would just crack a little bit, just but little it would bit, shatter. Yeah. So this was the early 90s. So it's not like, you know, even if it shattered, all you could do was kind of pick it out. So they cleared out the windshields and continued driving. <laughs> um, so. Wait, was, was the windshield crack like in slow motion? Because I've seen it happen before where it's like the, the stone lands and then it's like you see the crack. And it's like it's not gonna it's not gonna yeah, happen. So it's it, not gonna happen. It's kind of like, <laughs> so they slowed down and they kind of cleared out the glass and all that. Mm. And then they kept driving. And to this date, I asked my dad, like, why did you keep driving? He's like, Because there was no way we were gonna get, you know, wait for a bus because yeah. you had to buy a ticket, you mm-hmm. know, before you leave the city and kind of kept going. And you will not believe the kinds of things a windshield keeps out of a car. We had bugs, <laughs> we had birds. <laughs> We had dust, and then so um, bless my mom. Like she, <laughs> she uh, covered us in a little a little wrapper on our faces, so we wouldn't get so much dust. Uh, and I just have this vivid memory of like us driving down the highway, and <laughs> so all this stuff just flying in. And um, you know, they were just trying to keep us calm. They're like, you know, this is totally normal. This is how this is how it happens. You know, we drive down and. You know, things happen on the road and it's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> and I think about it now. I'm like, that was terrible. Mm. <laughs> it was very, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't get it fixed. <laughs> and so when we stopped for the night, they just covered it with a little sheet and like, you know, just tied the sheet to the yeah. ends of the, you know, the car because they now had to find, um, try and find out if it could get it fixed in uh, Mombasa uh, at the time. I don't know. Maybe those who grew up in Mombasa can tell me, but they couldn't find a shop that would fix that specific windshield. Mm. I think it was like a, a very early model, you know, Toyota, you know, like it was a very popular car in, in Kenya and still is, but an early model. So the, the, the main dealer was in, back in Nairobi. So we, we, we drove back <laughs> with well, this, they pro- they probably you know, have to order the, the windshield. <laughs> <laughs> they did, they, they mm. called and they were able to order it, I think, but I just remember this trip and, uh, every time I think of it, I just think, you know, if you're going to be a young traveler, you you, you, you have certain experiences that form your mind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they just, they're super clear. 
Yeah, so shout, shout out to my parents, um, who I love dearly. <laughs> yeah, because... shout, out, shout out to your parents. So yeah, I give them a shout out because, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, so it, that's it's not life. If, you, if you've driven in a car without windshield, yeah, you you you, you appreciate um, whoever invented the windshield because, woo, yep. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. That it protects us from. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So, you know, those kinds of things, they stick with you. They stick with you. Indeed. Indeed. And and while you were sharing that uh, memory, uh, it, it, I, I just recalled one of the trips we had um, back during my younger days. And uh, the, I think we were traveling. I can't remember where we were traveling from. And the windshield stopped walk, walking. And that was, of all days, that was when one of the heaviest downpours ever happened, uh, decided to happen. And they still kept driving. And it was like somebody <laughs> put their hand outside. Was like, kept... Ah, yeah, yeah. It was, no, that's terrible. It was terrible. It was terrible. But yeah. I was like, ah. Then, you know, you're a kid. You're like, it's, it's no big deal. It was a big deal. <laughs> now you look back and you're like, whoa. If, some, if that happened to a vehicle you're in now, I don't know if we'd be laughing. Nah, nah, nah. Uh, not, right, especially now that I'm a parent, I'm, I don't know if I even have that confidence. I'm, I'm just probably going to pull over, except if I'm in a town that I don't like the vibe, then I'll probably say, okay, let me just try and drive to the next town. But other than so that's that... With travel, I think in in Kenya, you know, a lot of people just keep driving, you know, just because yeah. you know, you know, maybe what you'll find when you get there. But in between, mm -hmm. it's not always so clear. Oh yeah, whether you get what you're looking for, like just a specific windshield wiper for your car, or like a windshield, or like something very specific. Even though things have changed now, I think people still worry about being able to get what they need. You know, when they're on the road traveling from town to town. Oh yes. <laughs> Ah, but that was that was a beautiful memory. You know, it's a beautiful one. Ah, yeah. So, uh, you're wrapping up secondary school, and yeah. you've begun to consider. Um, you've be the the idea of getting a scholarship has popped into your head. Uh, how did that idea first come? How did you first come about that idea of getting a scholarship? Um, so one of the things that I've always loved about um, the Kenyan kind of education story is that even from the 60s, they had this program called the airlift. Mm. So the Kennedy airlift, they call it, where African students were airlifted to the U.S. Um, and they went to U.S. colleges and universities. So uh, that started in the 60s. And one of their most famous students was Wangari Matai. Oh, so she yes. got airlifted, and I've been a fan of hers for a long time. Yep. And One of I believe British she was part English. of the first airlift program. And so, um, you know, for me, it kind of planted this idea that people go and study in the U.S. And even though that program was canceled or, or you know, kind of outlived its time, I still thought it was possible. You know, I didn't know all the details. I think we didn't have that much information. Um, bear in mind that this was um, early 2000s and for a lot of us in Kenya, you still like for you to access information, you had to go to a cyber cafe Yeah. and, you know, 
open and they would help you open an email account. <laughs> and then once you had that email account, then you could kind of start, you know, figuring your way around the web. So it's, it's not like I wasn't completely illiterate, you know, in, 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 um, you know, online, yeah. but I had very little information because again, in boarding school, you don't, you don't get, you know, a lot of your classwork is offline. True. And so, you know, even if you had a computer science class, it's specific to the program you're working with. It's not an opportunity to go and read up on whether you can get a scholarship and go to the U.S. Yeah, yeah. But we did have a good library where, um, you know, people who had gone to our school would also um, take, you know, kind of send, send brochures back to the school and then the school would keep them in the library. So we kind of had a sense like where our students were going and a lot of students were going to really great schools. Um, you know, some of them went to even Ivy League schools, some of them went to state schools, some of them went to um, small liberal arts colleges. So they, they kind of brought this sense of, okay, you went to this high school. So yeah, maybe you're going to have a chance to go um, to the US. You um, get the idea and start working on the plan. So did it take you the whole nine months after secondary school? Or how long did that take you to come to fruition? So um, what we did was, I think you had to have um, SAT one and SAT two. So I finished school at the end of November um, at my four year, the fourth year of high school. And then you would have to wait maybe a month or a month and a half for your results. So in that period of time, I took the December SAT one just so I could know, you know, if I had a good score and if mm -hmm. I didn't have a good score, then I would have to study you know, and kind of take um, something else. I also took uh, my SAT twos. I think I took um, German SAT two. So I just had one SAT two. Um, and then I started researching. My specific search was which colleges and universities in the US offer scholarships. So if they didn't have a scholarship, I crossed it out. <laughs> Especially wow. scholarships to international students. I was like, no. So I picked up, you know, the Peterson guide. It's a really thick guide. It has all the colleges and universities in the U.S. And it's a thick book mm. um, that Peterson puts out every year. I don't know if they still do this. And somebody at the U.S. Embassy in Nairobi was running, um, you know, it was running an education center. Um, and so what it was is that the U.S. Embassy in Nairobi would have a site where they would offer advisory on, um, uh, on you know, colleges and universities in the U.S. And so when I say someone had it, it's like it, you just you call them and said, hey, I want to go to school in the U.S. You call the, the you know, the help desk at the yeah. U.S. Embassy and they would tell you, you know, you should probably contact the U.S. Um, you know, Education Advisory Center. And this is a thing they have in lots of countries. So the Nairobi um, embassy had a wonderful woman uh, called Dr. Mary Nelson. God rest her soul. Um, she was an amazing advisor, uh, a university professor who had moved to Nairobi and just, you know, stayed in Kenya and become a huge part of the education framework here. Um, and she was, you know, she was the one offering the advisory. And she, uh, you know, she so you'd pay kind of like, I think it was like 20 bucks, something like that. 
and you have kind of like a session, kind of assess what your needs are, what kind of schools you're looking for and that kind of thing. And then she would kind of give you a plan to start preparing. So I saw her, I think at the beginning of January after my high school year was over yeah. and we started, uh, you know, my mom and I started working on the plan and my mom can find anything. She's a research, she has a research mind. She's great at that. Um, you know, she, um, you know, she was like, oh, this is what you want to do. Let's, you know, let's, while you're waiting for your other grades, let's keep doing this search. And so, uh, my dad was supportive. My sister was supportive, but me and my mom, we were like on it every day, you know, we do certain, like we had like our paper list and she'd say, how many did you cross off today? You know, like, did you check out, you know, what, what they're currently offering for this year? So that at least for next year, you have an idea of what to apply for. So I did this like literally line by line every from A through Z, every, you know, because they'd say offer scholarship, offer scholarship to international students. So if they didn't offer to international students, cross out. So many of the wonderful schools that, you know, that you can even imagine, I crossed them out. Wow. And um, I, <laughs> I started looking also at uh, liberal arts colleges because they also had this, you know, kind of like um, good reputation for supporting international students. So, for example, um, some of the liberal arts colleges are like Williams College, uh, which was really interesting. Um, you know, there was, you know, just a whole host of others. And so Dr. Nelson said to me, um, you know, hey, we also, you know, I've had a chance to do a college tour and we went to a, a different, you know, great number of schools. And I think you'd really be interested in one particular college that I visited called Bryn Mawr College. I said, Bryn, what? And she said, Bryn Mawr College. And she said, it's a, it's a selective liberal arts college and it's based in Philadelphia or just outside of Philadelphia. It's beautiful. Um, she said, it's full of smart women who, um, you know, who go-getters and you've been in an all girls high school. So you will appreciate the all women's college environment. Why don't you take a look? And they offer scholarships for international students. So, you know, that was my big criteria. Yeah. And so I said, I don't know if I want to go to an all women's college. I mean, I just came from an all girls high school. And she said, no, I, th I met some of the girls. You remind me of some of them. So you might, you take a closer look. Um, and so I, I prepared about uh, 15 different applications, you know, very comprehensive. Um, that at that point in time, there was no common app available, really. Um, each school kind of, I think each school had its own application form, okay. but there was a catch. Um, you have to pay, a, um, you, so while you, while certain schools will waive application fees, not all schools offered waivers for oh. international students. And so oh. I started thinking, you know, I made a, a huge plan. So I would, uh, apply early decision one, um, at which you, you know, so early decision one was due in October. And then they would tell you by December 15th. And so I would apply to one school early decision one. And if they didn't accept me by December 15th, I would send the other 14 applications. Okay. So my plan was like, I'm going to, I'm going to spend as little money as possible applying to these schools, because if you get into your first school, then maybe there's a chance that, you know, you wouldn't, you might get that scholarship because I was very targeted. I was like, if it doesn't work, I'm not going. Yeah. Um, so thank God. Um, I applied to Bryn Mawr College as my early decision first choice in October and uh, of, this, of that year. And then 
and uh, on December 15th, I got an email saying you're going to get some registered mail through FedEx, but you know, welcome to the class of 2009. Wow. <laughs> so, and, and I, and I read the fine print that were like, and we have, you know, we've offered you a generous international student financial aid package. And I was like, yes, this is it. Is that a scholarship? So that's, a scho yes, a okay. scholarship. So, I was so, like, financial, I, the financial aid, because I'm like, wait, I, I, I thought everybody's on financial aid, one way or the other now. So, so, they, so, <laughs> they, so they said, um, so the, the Office of Financial Aid is what they call it, right? Okay. So they then kind of said, so for you, this is what it is. You know, oh, you get okay. your uh, package, which is, you know, this is, we have certain grants that we do for international students um, because, but the catch is, for every international student grant, you had to pay 14% tax on that grant. Oh. So if your school um, cost $30,000 a year, you had to pay 14% of $30,000 to the IRS. Oh. Oh, that's, that's news to me. Yeah. So, so while it was wonderful and it was amazing to get that opportunity to study and to be, to be able to tell my parents, Hey, you just need to, this is, this is what I need. I need my upkeep and a little bit more to pay the tax yeah. because this is a really good package. Um, so I, um, I can't remember what the exact amount for the school was, but it was a very generous package. And then they said, but don't worry about the 14% tax. You can get a job on campus. Okay. <laughs> you can get a job on campus and then you can pay it in installments. Like you can, you can pay yeah. the IRS. Wow. So that was my introduction to the IRS. <laughs> Welcome to America. <laughs> I was like, wow. I mean, they literally came to campus to register us for mm. our tax IDs just so that we can start paying tax. Right. They, they, were, they weren't playing they weren't playing <laughs> they, were, they were not playing and um and i laugh now but at the time i was very stressed out i was like i have bills to pay i have a job <laughs> and i'm a full-time student mm. and i came all the way from nairobi so i can't fail <laughs> I can't, I can't, not, I can't skip a class yeah. and note, uh, if you remember, I don't know if you know this about, uh, at the time it was called INS. If you did not take a full course load of classes, your school would report you for not being in school full time okay. to the INS. Oof. So <laughs> the conditions for your very wonderful opportunity, you have to pay your tax. And then you have to be, you have to, you have to be full time. So those two things were kind of like, you know, um, and you know, for anyone who's listening, who's had to go and try and go to school in the U S hats off to you. I had it easy compared to what a lot of students, international students go through to try and go to school in the U S like if anybody, you know, if you know how hard it is, it's like I'm I'm making it super sound super easy, but it was very it's a very difficult competitive process. Um, you know, thank God uh, I was able to do it, but I couldn't replicate it. I I don't think I could say you know everybody can do this. Yeah. I don't think that's the case. 
but for me, that was the path. And so that's how I became an international student in the U.S. All right. Before, before we continue with your time in college, let's uh, take a quick break. And when we return back, we shall go into the full American experience. Hi, everyone. Your host, Raphael Harry here. I can't believe we have gone past our one-year anniversary of doing White Label American. I've had the privilege of speaking with some amazing people, sharing their modern-day immigrant stories. And you've allowed this Nigerian immigrant to share parts of his immigrant journey through this podcast. Also, one of my goals of this podcast is breaking down artificial walls that keep people from getting to understand each other. Based on your wonderful feedback over the last year, I think we have done a decent job in breaking down some of those walls. We would like to continue and expand on this mission, but we need your help. I've had an amazing time creating and producing episodes for this show largely on my own. We have a lot of ideas for new and exciting content to expand upon the mission, but we need direct support from you, our listener, which is why we have created a White Label American Patreon page where you can make a one-time donation or become a sustaining contributor where you can get access to exclusive content, help me interview upcoming guests by submitting questions, and even have the chance to sit down with me for a one-on-one conversation, either virtually or in studio. So if this podcast means something to you, and if you really love this show, think about becoming a sustaining contributor and donating by going to patreon.com slash white label American POD. Thanks for listening and for the privilege of your company. So welcome back. And now we are officially in the United States. So you've been hit with the, you've gotten the scholarship and you've gotten the extra welcome package with the scholarship. That's how I'll call it now. But uh, while you were um, letting us know everything that came with your scholarship package, my interactions with international students started making sense now because I'm I'm a veteran and um, I served in the Navy. And thanks to that, I got funding for going to school. But, you know, a lot of us don't really see it as... uh, we see that's no big deal because we can't sacrifice our bodies. So uh, there were times where in our interactions we like, you know, international students, you know, some of them are from where, because a lot of immigrants are veterans. And like, hey, well, why don't you come hang out with us? And international, like, I, I don't have time, you know. And like, why are you so stuck up? What kind of stuck up person is this? You know, you don't have time for your fellow people. Who the hell are you kind of thing? But it, it makes sense, you know, if, if we, we didn't know, you know, but... It makes yeah. sense because I, if I were in that person's shoe, I, I wouldn't have time. I wouldn't have time. I would think about paying back. You know, that's like you said, you you were stressed up already. Even though you, you, one, it shouldn't have been 
as stressed as you know you you don't have to be like that but i can look back and say oh yeah i, I think if I, I would have been more understanding to my uh on international students um dilemma and uh, what they were going through instead of just thinking like hey you know you're all international students your family could afford to put you here or that kind of thing we didn't know who was on scholarship you know you know and especially the african ones not everybody wants to tell you what that they are going through a problem you know, we, we try to hide our thing, put on a brave face. So, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I'm more understanding now. And, yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to just blanket everybody like, you know. But and I hope people listening will um, be more understanding. Like, yeah, even if you know the person's family and the person's from a wealthy family, it does not mean they won't have struggles, you know. They're still human, so still be understanding. That's just all I'll say. You know, if they're if they're a douche, then yeah, okay, fine. They just they're a douche, let them go. But be understanding to people because it's not it's not easy. It's not easy for the students coming to a different country, new land, and all that. So um, um, definitely that. I mean, yeah. I think what you're saying is real. I mean, we, I don't think we even had the vocabulary to say. I'm having a problem. No, <laughs> I have a problem with this. Trust me, with this system. we don't. We, we did not. Because myself, with all that, I've, you know, I've still, there were lots of situations during my time in the military. I still didn't know how to say I needed help because yeah. I was in the mold of being a tough guy, trying to be a tough guy, fitting into a certain box that had been created for me. And then I'm now going to school and then I'm trying to fit into another expectation at school. And then you meet your international students and you expect a certain interaction to take place. And then they see you and they expect a certain interaction to take place with you. And then you meet the students who aren't international. And then another interaction is expected. And so you start seeing the clashes happening. And then you get it why some veterans are like, I'm not even talking to anybody. I'm just going to be on my own side and everybody starts creating their own walls and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So now looking back and with all the information I'm, I have now that I'm more open to hearing other people's um, journeys and experiences, I, it makes sense to me. It makes sense to me why I, I was the way I was and why other people were the way they were. And yeah, I can, right. I can openly say I'm sorry for the way I treated some people because it wasn't like I just woke up and said, I'm going to be a, a douche to you. But there were times I was a douche because I just, I don't care. I'm like, this, this, this damn Africans. Let me go sit down one corner back. I just do I walk All of Raphael's friends and, and maybe friends need to hear that. They need to hear yeah, that. Yeah, well, um, I, 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 tried, I'm, I, I tried to tell them, you know, the ones who are willing to listen. You know, and right. those who are still not living by the, um, we have to be in this box, you know, that I, I came from that tough culture mentality. So there was that fight still going on with many of my people who knew me. Like they don't, they're just surprised I'm not still embracing that line of thoughts that, so. But people change. Like if you, um, if you're, if you're uh, growing and learning, you something about you has to change. I believe that so much. Yeah. And I think even I think I was I, I would if I remember how I was when I started the um, the U.S. experience. I didn't know. I I knew as much as one could know, 
from um, being, you know, an outsider looking into the U.S. Yes. So you have some knowledge of pop culture. You know, you have some knowledge of politics. You have some knowledge of uh, people dynamics. But there's nothing like moving to the U.S. as um, a young person, as in, you know, an African person. And, uh, you know, starting to confront being Black in the U.S., Mm -hmm as compared to being black in other countries, which may or may not necessarily impact your life in the same way. True. Um, and one of the things that I think um, really helped out is we had the Brynmar African and Caribbean Students uh, Association. And so the African Caribbean students would get together, um, the African American and black, you know, just the US black students would get together. They were yeah. called the sisterhood. And so we'd have these joint events where we'd talk about, you know, the different experiences that we were having. We'd talk about why we, you know, we had these silos of, oh, you're from the Caribbean and you're African and you're African-American and are, and we're all black. And so, um, you know, I think for me, one of the experiences that I had was we had a, a conversation with one of our uh, professors who, uh, you know, was, um, you know, very kind, um, you know, ha- shout out to uh, Dr. Kalala. Um, and he was, you know, listening to us talk about, well, I'm, you know, uh, in my Black experience as an African immigrant, uh, it, you know, all these different people talking about in my experience. And he listened to us all and he was like, okay, you make a good point, you make a good point. Then he said, okay, now I'm going to say something to you, which you need to remember when we leave this door, because we were in a lovely living room um, on campus, he said, when we leave this door, we are all black. Yeah. And um, that, it doesn't matter whether you have a, a college degree mm-hmm. or you, th- you know, your family, you think your family is wealthy or your family is wealthy. It doesn't matter where you, whether you can speak the right kind of English or, you know, you wear the right kind of clothes you know, um, you're still seen as the same black threat. Yes. You are a threat. And the room was silent and people were just like, I don't think the conversation was headed there yet, mm-hmm. but he took us there. Cause he was like, we can talk about all these different identities you have. And, oh, my experience is this. And, you know, these people say this and when we're out and da, 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 all that. But when we leave this door, we are all the same black threat. Me, professor, with all my credentials and my hood and my robe and my publications, we're all the same. So if you, if you can't see that, then you need to find out why you can't see that because that's the most important thing that will impact your life here in the U S and that struck, it stuck with me. Um, and it's the same thing. You know, I think that kind of like was my experience being black at Bryn Mawr is like, we, you know, we weren't that many black students on campus. Um, we were a good number of international students, but from different countries. And I, w- I couldn't say that the majority of the students were uh, black international students. Um, and also I think there was no time to feel like, oh, you know, but, but I'm not that kind of black student. Yeah. I am African. Hi. You know, <laughs> there wasn't that, you know, it was just, it was live. It was, um, experiences like having um, students call campus security because they saw um, some of our African and uh, friends walking across campus, especially black male oh. African students. 
um, it was people who you were sharing a seminar with who, you know, would be sitting and dialing from their rooms. Um, it was a lot of people who are not really, um, you know, like it, it, it was, it was a very, um, I would say like, it's a, it's a predominantly white college. And I, I think we were woefully underprepared to be, you know, on this campus because we didn't, we didn't have, you know, some, some like international students don't get the um, multicultural student training. I don't know if, if this happens in other areas, but then there's kind of like um, kind of sessions for multicultural students. So they um, kind of bring in um, students who are non, non-white students and they kind of have, uh, you know, pre-college sessions together and kind of talk about race and they talk about, you know, all these experiences. So we didn't have that. Um, but it's no excuse. Of course, you know, even if you didn't have that, you still had to learn it somewhere. Yeah. You had to learn what race means. You, you know, you had to learn what culture means. Um, I think we were very sheltered from a lot of what um, students who commute or live off campus experience because we were on campus. Uh, the campus itself is kind of like a very big bubble. Mm. And so, um, but the minute we left campus, you know, if um, I remember when a friend who was taking us to see a movie in the city was driving and the police in, in um, just near Villanova University, which is of course like the nearest huge, huge university is, is Villanova University, yeah. um, you know, was, you know, he was stopped and other friends were stopped. So there was constantly like, yes, you're in this kind of like very college environment, but the minute law enforcement gets involved, you guys are the black you guys are the black students. So I, I love that, you know, there was a lot of community. There was a lot of um, support from the black staff, educators, administrators, um, the janitorial team, the, um, you know, the, the hospitality team, you know, in terms of dining rooms and cafeterias, a lot of whom were um, uh, black were very supportive and they, they became home away from home for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was still a lot of unlearning and learning. And sometimes it was very tempting to um, kind of step aside from, um, you know, very painful conversations about race and, and class and say, you know, um, I'm international. That, that doesn't, re- that doesn't, doesn't apply to yeah, me. Yeah. And, all these folks who are loving on you are like, uh, you don't get to do that. You know, young Josephine, you don't get to do that. You are in it, whether you want to be in it or not. <laughs> and so a lot of the unlearning mm-hmm. and relearning helped me kind of reframe who I am in the world. And I think if, if you're fortunate enough to have people in your life who call you out and call you back and, and say, this is some reading you need to do. This is some learning you need to do. This is some, this is some steps you need to take so that you can unlearn what you think and learn how to navigate this world in the right frame of mind, because it's a mad world and you're, and it's an anti-black world in many cases. And this is how you have to, this is, this is the reality. Yeah. You can't hide behind any of those things. So that helped me get the kind of frame of mind where I could start to, you know, take, take steps forward, you know, not just think of, okay, I'm going to get through college and I'm going to have this GPA. I'm going to do these things. 
it's this is life this is this is life outside of college outside of these bubbles that fortunately I'd been part of and so that's where I found myself that was the black experience that was the <laughs> living in America experience so while you were beginning uh, while you you officially be, um got into the black experience and the american experience you still didn't lose touch of your creative juice and you were still no. uh drinking or you, were, you you began to expand your creative juice if i may put it that way and I, I started, yes yes <laughs> and also um there's something i forgot to mention in your in in, in your amongst your introduction you are also a, a polyglot. So uh, by the time you left Kenya, how many languages were you s able to speak? And at college, did you add any languages or when did you add more languages? Right. Um, so every Kenyan student has to take two languages, English and Swahili or okay. Kiswahili. Kiswahili. What's the difference between Swahili and Kiswahili? Uh, Swahili is the English version of Kiswahili. So oh, everyone who's... Oh, that's what I'm learning now. Sure. Oh, wow. So if you're in the US, everybody says, oh, do you speak Swahili? And if you're a Swahili speaker, everyone says, do you speak Kiswahili? Kiswahili is the correct... Uh, that's, is the correct that's, that's so heartbroken for me. That's, really, that's a real heartbreak. For me. We're learning. I, We're just I, learning I, and growing. Yeah. I, I shouldn't have asked that question. Now I'm so heartbroken. I don't even want to learn Swahili anymore. I didn't want yes. to know the answer to that. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. We're still. This, it's like learning. You know, we're we're in that. You know, we're taking notes. <laughs> we're taking notes. Um, so every student in Kenya has to learn uh, English and Kiswahili uh, formally in school for twelve okay. years. So. Um, I already arrived in the U.S. with uh, those two languages. Um, personally, I'm really interested in languages. Uh, I took German in my school because that was the only non, that was the only European language offered. Mm. They didn't offer French. They didn't offer Spanish. They didn't offer Italian. Uh, so I said, okay, I'll learn the German wow, with no plan of going anywhere German speaking. I just yeah. thought, you know, I need, I need to exercise my language arm. And that was really fun um, because the German program at my high school was full of activity. Our teacher was super passionate um, and she, and, you know, there was literally like a, a student German cultural scene uh, for high school students that was organized by um, the Gota Institute in Kenya. Oh, and so yeah, there was we, one in Nigeria. Yeah, so, Gota, yeah, so they, yeah. they would organize high school students to, um, you know, kind of get together around uh, language and culture. And uh, you could win prizes, you know, you could win German books and you could meet other students who are studying German. And then uh, when I went to college in the U.S., I was really interested in a new language. I didn't want to study German anymore. And I started Japanese. Wow. And Japanese is so cool because, um, you know, it's not only spoken and written, but it's drawn. So, you know, um, we learned, uh, of course, 
the you know we just we went in and and started learning how to write the script uh scripts uh you know how to speak the language and also uh that was a program that was there my first oops i think signal is low um can you hear me Oh, thanks. Um, oh, uh, I think I lost you there for a second. Uh, yeah, it's that connection. Yeah, it's that uh, international. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you are talking about uh, learning wow. Japanese. Wow. So I was. Yes. So the language dorm on campus. I lived in that, um, and then got to study a year of Japanese. In, in campus as well. So that was really cool. So most people I know who uh, learned, who got to learn Japanese or speak Japanese, um, anime played a big role in their life. Well, they love anime. Do you love anime or do you watch anime? I don't. I do not. You just, uh, have, sorry, you just sorry. have a love for the language. Yeah, I just love the language. And so um, I would lie, like, sorry, anime fans. I know it's really cool. Yeah. It's amazing. It is I, amazing. So, I, I'm not a fan of anime. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> I am a fan of Japanese food, um, a huge fan of Japanese food. Um, and the interesting thing is uh, I don't practice my Japanese very often, but Dusseldorf, where I live now, uh, is the biggest Japanese, has the biggest Japanese community outside of Japan. Really? Wow. Yes. So it's like, it's like the Japan away from Japan. Huge uh, Japanese. I did not community. know that. Lots of, wow. lots of uh, cultural activities, lots of uh, businesses, uh, yeah. people who live in Dusseldorf who are Japanese and carry forward the Japanese culture, language, and experience. Wow. I did not know that. That's, that's something extra new that I've learned today again. Wow. That's, wow. Okay, well, now that makes up for your not liking anime. So. <laughs> <laughs> I may still pick up anime later on, you know, but I, um, and of course I'm calling it the wrong thing. So like I was in class with hardcore manga fans mm -hmm. Like the full experience, and um, they were really great folks. Uh, and we had a, um, you know, so so being a polyglot, I think, and you know, in addition to Japanese, so every African child I know has parents who speak another African language, or two, yeah. or three, or four. So um, because of growing up in Nairobi, I picked up a little bit of my neighbor's African languages. And my parents' African language as well. Okay, so what, what is your own language? Your, your own lang your tribal language. My tribe. <laughs> I don't like the. I don't like saying tribal. I okay. don't know. Your ethnic group. So your, my ethnic group. Yeah. My my African language that I speak very well is Kikuyu. Kikuyu. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I've I've heard of Kikuyu. So, I don't know if it's it's a it's it's a pretty common language in Kenya. Unfortunately, we we need to know other languages, but 
for many reasons. Um, it's pretty common in Kenya um, and, and uh, you know, for better and for worse. So Swahili is the, is the national language? Swahili is the national language. Okay. Uh, Kiswahili is my language. <laughs> Kiswahili. <laughs> <laughs> we'll use both. They're both correct, but uh, Kiswahili is correcter. If there's, okay. if there's a word yeah. like correcter. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, so, I, but I, I go, I go with correct. I agree with correcter. It's Kiswahili I want to learn now. <laughs> Corrector is Kiswahili. So if you hear someone saying, I want to teach Kiswahili, I want to learn Kiswahili. Kiswahili. So yeah, so I think um, one of the most beautiful parts about being African is that a lot of us are polyglots. A lot of us. Like you have some, you know, you pick up a lot of languages, um, whether you are a language person or not. Yeah. <laughs> you just, you just have to. Um, and so I think one of the things that is really cool is that my grandmother, by my grandmother and my great grandmother, uh, God rest them both, only spoke Kikuyu. Mm -hmm. And so being able to, to speak with them while they were alive, to share their stories and experiences, yeah. really fueled my interest in learning how to read and write in Kikuyu. Mm. And a lot of people um, speak Kikuyu, but they don't read and write read in Kikuyu. And write. Yeah, that's, that's another thing. Um, and, you know, just people of that generation, like our grandparents and great-grandparents, those of us who are fortunate to know them, um, you know, they, they, they enjoyed sharing their stories in Kikuyu because that was the language they grew up with, number one. Yeah. And then two, that's the story. You know, where the, there's a language where you're... Um, where your stories are spicier yes. and your memories are more vivid mm -hmm. and, and you share so many more things and, and the prayers and, you know, just all the things that you have to share with your children and grandchildren and great grandchildren uh, lie within the language. So for me, it, it, it holds a special place because I got to connect with them on their level. Um, they were able to talk to me. They were able to sh teach me things and show me um, a side of themselves that, um, I wouldn't other, otherwise have known if I didn't speak Kikuyu. Now, I don't, my Kikuyu, so every time I speak Kikuyu, people tell me, oh, now you, <laughs> you're speaking Kikuyu like as if you came uh, and became a missionary to the Kikuyu and then you learned the Kikuyu <laughs> and then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now you speak it with that with that um you the know accent. second third person yeah, accent. accent so <laughs> so as you can tell i know i'm going to get my, my kenyan people are going to roast me for that one but it's okay i still i still love everybody <laughs> equally <laughs> that is beautiful you're still in a better place than myself mine is uh i can't even read any nigerian languages but yeah, I didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't even aware that family spoke uh, about the language thing, but f the, the older I got, that's when I realized that family spoke lots of languages, but the, the emphasis was on English, so they got it beat out of me <laughs> when I was younger. But as a kid, you know, you don't even know these things, but as a, by the time I was probably six, I was speaking three or four languages, just from... Yeah. Just by soaking it from neighbors, just interactions with I already I was already speaking uh, Yoruba house and uh, English pidgin English uh, what we call pidgin English, and like you said, there's a way of telling stories or like even jokes. There are certain jokes that I can that we can tell 
And when I speak Pidgin, I speak mostly Bendel or Wari Pidgin, which, which is different from mm -hmm. Lagos Pidgin. Ours is more spicier yeah. because we are better than Lagos people. Ah. Take it any way you like. <laughs> uh, but um, if I translate the joke into English, if I tell you, tell you the same joke in English, the spiciness is gone. But if I say it in Pidgin English, everybody, even the Lagos people, they will still understand and they'll be like, this guy, this guy, how did you come up with this story? Why do you. So like when you meet the old the older guys the elders and they are drinking like when I go to the, the, the local shanties and I buy them in a shot and then they start telling me some story from the past and it's, it's like you don't want them to tell that they can't tell you that story in, in English they they can't it's just nah. that's the language they know it in you just let them tell you that story then I'm like yes it does yeah. make sense so um, I have to ask um, your walk um, I have to jump forward a little bit to save time yeah. Um, you now um when did you how did you get into the official podcasting world of um of organizing because you're not just um a creator because you also um do some podcasting but you also create a platform for podcasters to have a voice and podcasters on the continent which um many people tend to forget that africans are very creative people we have we are like the originators of creativity to be honest and due to various factors it's not easy for people to you know get to be get their voices out there so how did you get to be um how did it c come to you to you know create this platform and give us a voice you know our brethren on the continent a voice to um a place to come together and put their voice out there um, right. Uh, so one of the things that uh, happened in the course of developing my own uh, work life as in terms of like working in international development and, you know, specifically in advocacy, partnerships and communications is that I got to start listening to different podcasts that were out. Um, around 2017, 2018, I was really listening to a lot of the podcasts that were coming out, um, you know, specifically for work reasons, because I wanted to know um, how podcasting could play a part in telling stories around people and culture across Africa. And so I, um, I'm, I really enjoy trying new tools and experimenting. And I, I knew about um, recording with Audacity and so I started trying to record pod, my own podcast in 2018 um, when I was in between projects. Um, so I usually work um, specifically in African countries with companies and organizations that are looking to do advocacy partnerships and communications. So that could be anything from research to writing to fundraising to you know, a, a whole host of different things. So for me, podcasting started as a tool to be able to talk um, to people uh, who were thinking, you know, I'd get a lot of calls from people saying, um, I really like what you're doing. It seems like you have a career where you make social change happen. So how can I make that happen? And, I'm, and I have this full-time job or I'm a full-time parent or, I, you know, I just don't have time. And so I started my first podcast um, where I was talking about um, you know, um, this I can do. So this one thing I can do, just talking about one thing you can do to, you know, become more active in social change projects. And so I started trying to edit, you know, record, you know, be my own host, 
yeah. in 2018. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I really wanted to listen to other Africans. I really wanted to hear other African voices. And the more I sent out the, the first podcasts, the more feedback I got about things I could do better technically, um, guests I should interview, um, volume, how long it should be. I got a lot of feedback. But I also realized that the same problems I was experiencing in terms of learning how to be a better technical uh, podcaster were some of the same problems my friends who are in Kenya were experiencing uh, as they were developing their own podcasting um, kind of, you know, initial podcasts or, you know, kind of like their first episodes. And so um, that's where the, the idea came to kind of get people together um, in Nairobi, which is our home city, to talk about podcasting. So Africa PodFest started as a way of bringing together podcasters from Nairobi to talk about podcasting. And when we started thinking about, uh, you know, what about other people in other African countries? Because even the people who were in Nairobi, a lot of them came from other African countries and happened to live in Nairobi. And so at the first meetup, you had podcasters whose roots were in all parts of Africa who happened to be Nairobi. Um, And we kind of talked about some of the things that existing podcasters were going through and some of the problems that novice podcasters were going through. And we realized that there was was an absolute ceiling. You know, if we don't develop our own capacity and our own uh, voice and kind of like connections and our space in Africa as podcasters, uh, none of us is going to grow. You know, we just realized that that was a big problem. So I, you know, as white label American, as an um, uh, African in America, an American, you know, with an African experience, you you can grow in certain ways, maybe because podcasting is pretty advanced in New York City. But if you really want to connect with uh, African content, African podcasters, if we don't grow too, then we would never connect. Um, and so it would be great to be a great African podcaster in New York City, but it's not that great if there aren't any others like you, because then, you know, for me, it's like, well, okay, <laughs> it's great. But is it, is, it, is it what you really, really want? Um, and so we uh, formalized Africa PodFest as a company to bring people together around podcasting and start building the ecosystem around African podcasting. Um, we were very ambitious from the start. We're still very ambitious because we know from experience with other technologies and other tools is that if we don't build it ourselves, uh, chances are someone else who may not necessarily understand the context of being African mm-hmm. or you know, creating and a content creating as an African would just come and, you know, put something together and that would be it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and take you know, the uh, probably get funded to do it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, run, run with it. And we would be, we would be observing from the outside, you know, kind of like observing this happening in our, in our own, um, in our own space. So one of the things we wanted to do was celebrate African podcasters. So we, um, we launched Africa podcast day. We invented Africa podcast day as a day to celebrate African podcasters. So it did not exist on the calendar. For those of you who don't know, it, it has never existed before 2020. Yeah, <laughs> it was it not does. a thing. Now it does. It's official. <laughs> now it does. Now it does. 
and it has a life of its own. 12th of February, yes, um, the day before World Radio Day. And so we also uh, put together Africa Podfest for 2020. We thought it was going to be the greatest, you know, kind of gathering of African podcasters. And people even bought tickets. We booked a venue. We were ready to go. And one week before um, everything was supposed to go live uh, because of COVID-19 regulations in Kenya, we had to shut everything down. Um, we, we were not going to be allowed to have any meeting uh, with international travelers and people were flying in from all over. We had some great podcasters lined up. Um, and so we had to shut everything down. Uh, we had already, people had bought tickets. We had to give them back their money because nothing had happened. Mm -hmm. And thank God we were able to do that because, you know, people have their money back in their pocket at the beginning of a pandemic, which still hasn't ended. Um, but beyond that, uh, when everything shut down, we were like, we need to still lean into like the community that started because we had had uh, groups uh, of, you know, we had a physical meetup on Africa podcast day in Nairobi. So there was already a physical kind of representation. We'd had then conference on podcasting before we formally started Africa Podfest. So we knew that there was a community, but the thing about the pandemic is that without the kind of community that we needed, we couldn't grow into the African podcast space that exists now. There have been African podcasters since the beginning of podcasting, like in the, you know, as early as you can remember, but there hasn't been um, a global African podcast community. Yeah. And so Africa Podfest kind of fills that void and creates an opportunity for people to um, connect, have fun, talk to each other, learn from each other and celebrate this very lonely journey, which can be, you know, podcasting alone. Um, and also we know that it's not yet, uh, we don't yet have a full representation of the full African experience on mainstream media. True. And so we are really looking for voices of people who are outside um, what we consider mainstream media, people who are representing communities that aren't heard, um, in typical uh, media. We're also looking for uh, opportunities to grow the knowledge. Right now, there are a lot of courses that are being offered uh, around podcasting. A lot of them are out of pocket, out yeah. of pocket. Like they are just too expensive for the average podcaster. I don't know any commercial podcaster who has actually been able to fund their education. Like a lot of people are bootstrapping their mm -hmm. education. A lot of people, um, even across the continent, are using a simple cell phone and their headphones to podcast, and they want to know how to do that better. Yeah. So we're not. So whereas in some contexts we're having a conversation about, um, you know, I want to podcast, and so I have this equipment, and so how do I go about it? A lot of people are saying, I don't, I don't have any of this equipment, I don't have any of these opportunities. I just want to podcast because I have something to say and I think people should hear it. And I have a phone and headphones and I have a closet and I have like a blanket I can put over my head. What can I do? Go. And so people have been exchanging information about how to podcast with each other. We opened up our platform to feature African podcasters. Um, we've had great conversations with you. This is how we met, uh, actually, because we, you know, we started having IG lives and yeah. we said, hey, everyone who's an African podcaster, join <laughs> us. We're having these conversations with African podcasters. And so we really wanted people to hear from a diverse group of African podcasters. And we're still planning to do more of that. 
Um, and also just to be able to get a space where you can grow um, as a person, um, make new friends when we can't be together, and also learn how to podcast and enjoy African podcasts as well. So that's the, the short version <laughs> of how <laughs> I got to podcast. Yeah, I, I've been enjoying a whole lot of the African podcasters and uh, the beauty of the platform is, you know, I come in contact with a whole bunch of people claiming to have a network for Africans and it's just technically one part of Africa only. But um, Africa Podfest has introduced me to people from literally from the north to the south to the east to the west and I have podcasters, I have podcasts from every region now that I can pick and choose and say, yes, if I want a podcast from Egypt, I can listen to a podcast from Egypt. If I want a podcast from Algeria, I can listen to a podcast from Algeria. If I want a podcast from Ghana, Nigeria, from Kenya, Tanzania, I have a podcast that half of it is is in, I think it's uh, uh, Kiswahili, he speaks. So maybe I might finally learn it too because I'm he speaks a little English, and, but I'm, I listen to it. I listen to it. And there's the South African ones that I just appeared on, and there's a whole bunch. But now I have a, my 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 catalog is full of African podcasters in there. And when I write to them, they always like, "Hey, will you really listen to it?" I say, "Of course. Why? You think I'm just right?" Oh, I love it. I love you guys. I'm making great content, and I'll give you the shout out. And I hope people listening will um, check them out. There are a whole lot of them. I share them on my Instagram all the time, and on. Uh, Twitter, I always retweet a whole bunch of African podcasters. Um, yeah, please support them. And yeah, it's it's a great thing that you guys are doing. And uh, uh, what was what, the plans for the future? And, um, you know, have you guys started planning for after the pandemic? Uh, yes. So uh, like you said, you know, kind of like one of the things that's really critical for a future in African podcasting is being able to fuel it. So one of the things that we've done is we've opened up, um, we, so we've shared our platform with African podcasters and we've asked people who love African podcasts to help us build this community. Um, so we've um, we've put in a lot, we've invested a lot into the, the space that we've created so far, um, but we, we've also opened it up so that people who love Africa Podfest and what we're doing can actually support us individually and people have been really supportive and what it takes is that you know you buy us a coffee and a coffee is three 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 us dollars and some people can buy 10 cups of coffee and some people can buy one some people can um you know send it to somebody who um you know can have asked their friends to support us and so first of all that's the biggest plan in terms of sustainability is just finding us a very good way of supporting the work that we're doing. So if you're listening to this and you're wondering what to do, first of all, first go to www.africapodcastfestival.com and you know, we, we run on coffee. So that's the first plan for the future of Africa <laughs> Podcast. Um, if, and that also applies to institutions who are in the media space, who want to partner, who want to uh, make solid investments um, in podcasting. And so many of you have responded in kind you sent, um, people send us all kinds of things, your content, your curricula, your episodes. We do try and listen to all of them. The other thing is that we are going to continue with our mission of uh, bringing people together. 
And we've been able to do that um, this year in a big way uh, on Africa Podcast Day. We brought together the first um, global African podcast, you know, kind of gathering online that's been done. Oh, yeah. And everybody has been asking us this valuable question, who was behind it? Let me tell you who was behind it. Myself and Melissa Mbogwa, my co-director. There is no, um, you know, some of you have been asking who's the brains behind it, who was the technical this. Our entire team who we worked with was African or has been born in Africa or lives in Africa and identifies as African. So anything you loved about it, the technical, the online, everything was created for and by Africans. This is important to us because a lot of things that are built in Africa aren't built by Africans. Um, even though they work, even though they're really, really smart and they make our lives much easier. So if, um, if, if we can continue to do that, we will have achieved our goal, like our, you know, just in terms of starting us off. There are also, um, there's a lot of research that we're doing in terms of helping you understand who African podcast audiences are and that's something that we've been expanding from uh, around 2019. We've been doing quite a bit of um, all, um, research in that area, and we always share that research publicly. We've also created a database of African podcasters. If you're not there uh, and you, you are curious about what that is, so it's a free registration to be part of the African podcast database. And that is one of the leading ways to be discovered as an African podcaster. Um, you can be searched by country and by topic, which is not always easy um, for people who are looking for African content, as you can attest. Yes. And the other thing is that there's some nice surprises coming down the coming coming up. I don't want to say too much okay. right now. You know, we just pop. <laughs> uh, you know, you have to follow us. You have yeah. to follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and on our web. You know, just sign up for our newsletter. Um, and so that's at Africa Podfest. So A F R I C A P O D F E S T. So you have to follow us there. Um, that will help you get a sense of what where we're at and what we uh, where we're going. Um, our uh, we have a Substack. That's where our newsletter is. So AfricaPodfest.substack. So you can read all our past newsletters, and we always write them ourselves and share content, um, new episodes. Uh, news and views from across the African podcast world. And so those are the things that you can do to, you know, kind of like see what's coming down the line. We are so committed to one thing is making sure you hear directly from African podcasters. So if you think you, you want to, you have something unique to contribute, please check out our website, www.africapodcastfestival.com drop us a note, let us know what you'd like to do, um, what, you know, what your unique take is. Um, and if you want us to also appear on your podcast, <laughs> like, uh, like I am here right now, um, we do try and make sure that we can. Scheduling is not always easy as you can attest, <laughs> but we try, we try and make it happen. So, um, you know, first of all, like, you know, Raphael, I just want to say thank you so much. You've been, you've been supporting from the, from the day one. We haven't met. I didn't know Raphael yeah. before. You didn't know us. <laughs> um, we're just, you know, good, uh, good conversation. Uh, lots, lots of, you know, kind of like touch points where we're like, yes, this makes sense. This makes sense. Um, and so, you know, we don't necessarily, we don't, um, we try and create it so that it's an open space. 
meaning that if you're respectful and you feel like people should be included um, and you want to feature Africans and you are an, you know, or you are an African as well, that's a space for you. Um, a special note for everyone from the diaspora. Diaspora, I am part of the African diaspora. You are part of the African diaspora, Raphael. That is your space too. Um, as you grow in the world of um, global podcasting and you will and you are, um, we know that there's always going to be a place and a part uh, of you that wants to be home. Yes. <laughs> so we are creating that space um, in whatever shape it takes. Um, and it's, you know, like you said, you know, um, many people can talk about creating community, but the work of creating community is very, very hard. Mm. It's in practice very hard. And sometimes we, um, you know, we, we get ideas from the community and we try and implement them. Sometimes people say, hey, I want to do this event. And we say, hey, when is it? We'll publicize it, you know. And people have also um, created uh, outshoots of their own work where um, they have content creating meetings. Like right now, Afroqueer Podcast is having a series of events. Oh, I yeah. don't know if you've seen I, I saw the flyer. Yes. Like, and, you know, they're just phenomenal events that are around the podcast, but specifically for content creators across Africa and specifically content creators who are um, either L uh, identify as the LGBTQ, LGBT plus community mm -hmm. or uh, identify with being African and uh, part of the LGBT plus community or, you know, are content creators in Africa who want everybody's voice to be heard. I think, um, I, I believe that's that's the broad, 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 broadest way of saying it. Yeah. Um, but if you, um, if you are a podcaster, I think we want you to create events and we want to kind of share them out with the world and make sure people come to them as well. So if you have an event, please let us know. You know, if we see it, we'll kind of try and get a sense of what it is, but we'd love to hear about it from you because podcasters are already doing too much in terms of like, you're already creating content mm -hmm. and you're doing all these things. So yeah. if you're also gathering, we want to hear from you. Um, and also like, you know, tell us, you know, tell us so that we can tell others, you know, we try and make it easy. We make little forms that you can fill really quickly and talk to us. Um, and we, you know, we read, we read as much as we can, um, and we try and respond to as much as we can. So if we, if we don't catch your message, please resend it. Yep. <laughs> we, we really, really do try. <laughs> yep. That's, that's true. If, if you don't yeah. get successful once, send it again. Keep, keep, keep sending, keep sending, don't give up once. Keep sending. <laughs> keep sending. Um, and I think one of the things that, one of the most asked questions is that, you know, can you listen to my podcast and review it? What do you think, Raphael? You know, how do you, how would you answer I, I, that question? I say yes, yes, you can. Um, but I, I say it this way: if you, because uh, I need the five stars and positive reviews on my iTunes, so put do yeah. that on iTunes. And if you have a negative review, uh, be be kind to me. Send send me the negative review. I'll read it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say no. I'm not going to read it. But uh, yeah. if it's not constructive, I'm not gonna take it. I'm not gonna use it for anything. I'll move on. Because I, yeah. I, I came from a lot of um, non-constructive uh, criticisms in my life. So I've already dealt with that. And I keep dealing with that because there are people who refuse to support me in what, my journey. But I prefer you to give me the positive reviews and push me up, support me. So keep right. bringing it coming. That's what I need and that's right. what others need. And I, I personally support every podcast that I've come across, even those whose 
work I don't agree with, I still give you the five stars and say, okay, I'm not going to subscribe anymore, but I'll give you the five stars and I walk away. That's me personally. That's how I do my thing. And the podcasters who um, I don't, I no longer talk to, they can testify that, hey, they still have the five stars. So give, give support. So you can, you can give the five stars. You can do it. People can, can do it. You can, you can, you can <laughs> bless, bless somebody with the five stars and yeah. you can move along. I move, move along. along. Then talk to them pri- in private and say, hey, maybe maybe you should fix this or, you know, maybe change that. Do it in private, yeah. you know. And then but if some people just got to be people, so I say, all right, do you. Uh, human, <laughs> human, human. <laughs> all righty. So thank you for your time, Josephine. You've been fantastic. So to wrap it up, um, what would you like to leave the audience with? So the final question. Um, could be a word from it could be a, um, a sentence from your favorite book or song or a line from a song or just anything you'd like to leave the audience with to wrap it up yes um, you've heard my story um, part of how I came to be the person that I am I think that the, if I can leave you with one thing as a podcaster someone who loves podcasts you're listening um you're a storyteller. And so, you know, one of the things that makes you unique is your story. And uh, in as much as we like to kind of put on our thought leader hat or our, you know, whatever title you have, um, you are more than the titles around you as a storyteller. You are a story within a story within a story. So we want to hear that Um, If you are uh, able to, I know a lot of people might have challenges with their own podcast voice um, or not necessarily know who should host their story or, you know, tell their story. That's, you know, there's space for you to make make content in podcasting. Um, If and the last thing for podcasters, please try and make your content available in a format where um, people who may not be able to hear or are hard of hearing can access the transcript at least. You know, and that an easy way to do that, that if you can if you can post it on YouTube, the audio kind of automatically will be picked up and then you can get it in a variety of languages as text. Yeah. Um, you know, using that platform. There's a you know, other there's other platforms that cost a little bit more, uh or a lot more. But if you're willing to make the investment, I think people who can't access these tools will be able to reach them. Um, and for the transcripts as well, people who read or can only access printed material can read can read what your voice is saying. So just think about ways of making your voice and your story accessible and authentic. Great advice there. And one thing about the voice, I was the guy who took me forever to get into podcasting because I never liked my voice. I said... Um, growing up as a child, I only considered professional voices as white. But I never considered black as a professional voice. So I downgraded my voice and um, it would take me going to therapy and addressing a whole lot of things in my life before I will accept that my, I had a voice that was worth listening to and a voice that was beautiful and a voice that was good. And so I, I also tell people like, yes, don't... Um, don't downgrade your voice. Don't downplay the voice that you have. Your voice is powerful. Your voice is beautiful. And you have a voice worth listening to. So thank you again. Uh, Asante. I've forgotten the rest. I wish to remember that one. 
Bana. Asante, Asante. 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 Yeah. Yes. Uh, my, my language, Mbana, is, is thank you, is very easy. Just one word. Mbana. Mbana. So, um, Mbana. Um, uh, you've already given the websites for um, Africa Podfest. Um, is there any other plugin you like to leave the audience with? Follow me on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, please do. Please do. So please. My, my Instagram is Sparkle with Josephine. That's S P A R K L E W I T H J O S E P H I N E. All right. That's my Instagram. I spend a lot of time uh, listening to African podcasts. So if you use the hashtag African podcast, chances are I will get to see it. Um, I know for the folks who've been hoping and you know wanting to be featured, that's one way of sharing your content outside with the outside world. Um, so please use the hashtags. <laughs> I know it's hard. You're doing a lot of work. So yep. please follow me on Instagram, uh, Sparkle with Josephine, um, and also use the hashtag if you're creating as an African podcaster. So we can all find you. You can also, you know, find other people and give them five star ratings. That's right. <laughs> and Support. and email them and tell them what you think. <laughs> the scene. But really appreciate you, um, Bana. I think I said it correct. Yes, Mbana. Yes, Mbana. Alrighty. So All thank right. you and um, to the audience, Mbana, and keep the love coming in. And thank you for the privilege of your company. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support.